Good morning. It's a real joy to be with you. I'll just warn the Sunday school teachers that you, as you leave that it's probably going to be at least 10 after, probably quarter after. Just, just fair warning, because <laughs> I want to give a quick little update, plus I wanna, don't want to rush our time in Acts chapter 17. So if you'll turn, please, to Acts 17, I'll give you a little update on what's been going on since I last saw you in October. First of all, I feel like I pretty much owe you folks an apology because, well, you're getting a raw deal. You're only getting me instead of the whole family. You're only getting one-sixth of the package today, so uh, I apologize sort of for that because, well, I had to make a judgment call. I, we have a commitment tonight from 5 p.m. till probably won't get home till likely close to 10. So instead of leaving house at 8.30 in the morning and getting home at 10, I thought I'd give my family a little bit of a break there so they send their greetings and some of you have already said to me that you send your greetings back so I'll be sure to pass those along but everybody's doing well Kyle's in grade 12 Bray's in grade 11 and Silas is in grade I think grade 9 and Abby's in grade 8 so they're all doing good thank you sir and uh, Bria actually is in Ontario right now she went I've dropped her off at the airport on Friday and she's visiting her best friend saved up some money and Found a cheap WestJet flight, so she's visiting her best friend in uh, Ontario. And pick her up on Tuesday. But uh, yeah, everybody's doing good, and the Lord is faithful. Appreciate your prayers. Thank you for those who pray for our family, especially in especially January, February, March. Uh, yeah. Doing what we do in the wintertime can be a bit of a challenge on the streets. and So that's why I got this idea to go to Jamaica. So... so some of you, how many people knew I was in Jamaica? Uh, I know some of you were praying for us. If you weren't on Facebook or you're not on our email list, you probably didn't know that. But um, yeah, so that seemed pretty appealing. Um, that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, not only the, I went from winter to summer in a day, uh, and then we walked probably four to five miles a day to the spot in Montego Bay where we set up and preached the gospel all day, passed out thousands of gospel tracts and one-on-one witnessing, and then walked all the way home. Uh, <laughs> the first night, I turned the air conditioner on max, laid there for about an hour to cool down, uh, brushed my teeth, went to bed. I mean, I was dead tired. I thought, I'm not going to be able to last this whole, whole trip, but uh, the Lord... Uh, the Lord provided everything needed, and uh, so we, first week we did a lot of walking. I, on the third day I said, boys, I'll meet you down there. I'm taking a cab for, for a buck fifty. I can save the one. I'm like, here's my buck and a half. I'm saving my feet and my legs. But uh, yeah, so then come to find out, two other guys jumped in the cab with me. So it's like 50 cents each. So, you know. Anyway, the Lord was good. The second week, we rented a vehicle and went to all kinds of places along the North Shore, Negril, Ocho Rios, Falmouth. Had some really good, uh, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, Jamaica is a very needy place. There's about 3 million people, 12 people preaching the gospel six days a week for six hours a day. We must have passed out at least 20,000 gospel tracts. Um, I met one person in 12 days who believed in the triune Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's cults everywhere in Jamaica, 
everywhere. Oneness Pentecostalism, rampant. Seventh-day Adventism, rampant. Seventh-day Adventism, by the way, is not simply we don't worship on Sunday. It's a lot. They deny the penal substitutionary atonement. They deny the eternality of how they deny the Holy Trinity as we know it. It's, it's not just uh, we don't worship on Sunday. So it was, it was very, uh, it was hard. It was, it was hard. After about three days, I thought to myself, everybody in Canada is thinking, oh, Kirk's in Jamaica. You know, he's having a great time. And I'm thinking, man. If I knew what I was getting myself into, I'm not sure. Anyway, no, the Lord, Lord, was, Lord was good, so I'm thankful for that. And then if you're on Facebook, you saw how WestJet paid me to fly to Toronto and back because uh, they gave me a credit for less, more than what I paid for the flight. So that, that's always a blessing when you, when you know that instead of like 700 and some dollars to go to Jamaica and back, it was only 400 and some dollars. So that was pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, anyway, the Lord... Uh, Lord provides, and I'm thankful. Um, in there, too, I, I, I went to Ontario for two days and then went from Jamaica and then got back and then spent two more days in Ontario. So I got a chance to uh, give some up, two updates at two uh, churches that support us, including my home church in Ontario. So that was a blessing. And my grandmother turned 93, so there was a big hoopla for her. So I was able to go to that, which is really cool. So anyway, very thankful. Pray for me, please. Uh, I have been doing Moncton, street evangelism in Moncton, but I don't really like it that much. <laughs> I much, much prefer Halifax, much. Like, uh, probably, I, I can't even compare the two, to be honest with you. Not only because John is faithful and, and he's got a passion for Halifax, which rubs off on everybody around him, but uh, it's just different. There's about one-fifth of the people, it seems, downtown on a Friday night. Uh, one out of four won't even talk to me because I don't talk French very well. So it, it's a tough, tough thing. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I don't know. Just pray for us uh, wisdom. I'm not even sure. I just, I, yeah, got some big decisions to make this year. So pray for wisdom there, please. Let's turn. You're in, you're in Acts 17. Uh, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord. Lord, we've, come, we've got a lot going on this week and schedules and demands, but Lord, we've set aside this time to, to open the Word of God and to hear from you. Oh God, use this time. May it be profitable. Uh, keep us free from all distractions and help us to focus on you, on your Word, what you have for each and every person in this room, from the youngest to the oldest. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, while Paul, verse 16 waited for them at Athens. His spirit was stirred within him when he saw that the city was wholly given to idolatry. Now, Athens was a city at this point in history in, in decline. It wasn't the city it once was, although it was uh, the center of cultural paganism. It was nourished, and idolatry was rampant, as we just read about. Uh, philosophy was big. Uh, Aristotle's definition of uh, uh, philosophy, the science which considers truth, his, was his uh, definition. And it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a very needy place in this time. The Greeks, the people that, that Paul was, was reaching with the true gospel had their myths and they, they spoke of gods and goddesses who acted, really, if you know anything about Greek mythology, they acted more like humans than like gods, really. Um, somebody said you were more, one of the commentators said, walking through Athens, you were more likely to find a god than a man. 
today, you know, we admire the Greek sculpture, sculptures and the architecture and the beautiful works of art and so on and so forth. But uh, Paul was quick to notice that all of it was linked in with their religion and what they believed. And so Paul knew, uh, he already, we're, gonna, we're not going to look at it, but in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul, Paul's got some pretty harsh words about idolatry. And the word here, idolatry, appears in the last word here in verse 16. Uh, he calls it demonic in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, there's, there's plenty of idolatry in our culture too. We just fail to, to, re, to realize it. There was a, I can't remember if I shared this illustration here once or not, but there was a, a big name preacher went over to, I believe it was India, and he saw this chicken altar with blood and feathers everywhere where they, you know, kill chickens and offer the blood of chickens to their gods. And, and the missionary's wife was standing there, and so the preacher commented to the missionary's wife, wow, you know, this is amazing. And she said, yeah. He said, you ever been to my country? You ever been to U.S. or you can say North America? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I went once, but I'll never go back. Why is that? Oh, I can't stomach the idolatry in North America. Well, she's standing beside the altar with chicken blood all over the place, which if you've ever been around that, it's pretty just revolting smell. And uh, he said, I don't understand. You're, you're standing next to the altar of the chicken god, and you're telling me, you, don't, you can't stomach the idolatry in, in Canada and the United States? He said, oh, yeah. So you guys build these multi-million dollar buildings and then you paint your faces and cheer on your, worship your sports teams and you take your, your, your television set and you point all of the furniture in the house points toward it where that's where you worship. And, uh, and then you, I'm not even going to mention your restaurants. There's restaurants everywhere you go because you worship your own stomachs. And, and then your, your cell phones and your... your she said, oh, I just can't stomach the idolatry. So it's, be careful when you read the word idolatry in verse 16 that you don't think idolatry is something that happens on foreign lands. It can happen here. As a matter of fact, Leonard Ravenhill said this, anything that you love more than Jesus Christ is an idol. I don't care what it is. Wow. So, Paul, you know, don't fall into the trap of saying, oh, okay, well, this is, you know, 2,000 years ago and it's in Greece, so it really has nothing to do with me today. Uh, I beg to differ. It certainly does have everything to do with us today. For all of the nations, excuse me, for all of the gods of the nations are as idols, but the Lord made the heavens and the earth, Psalm 96 and verse 5. Um, verse 17, Therefore, Paul, he's walking around Athens, he sees all the idolatry, his heart is grieved, his spirit, it says, is stirred within him. And by the way, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, idolatry will bother you. It, it, it must. If it doesn't bother you, something's seriously wrong. Therefore, verse 17, disputed he, or discussed, or made his arguments. He, in the synagogue with the Jews, and with the devout persons, and in the marketplace, daily with them that met with him. So I've written down next to this verse, evangelism, both inside and outside. Um, you've probably heard the Spurgeon quote before. I'm pretty sure I've shared it here. No, no sort of defense is needed for spreading the gospel out of doors, but it would need very potent arguments to prove that a man had done his duty who had never preached on the walls of his meeting house. So 
were about to see one of the best open-air sermons ever preached, I would argue outside of anything that came out of the Lord Jesus' mouth, especially the Sermon on the Mount, this one has got to be at or near the top. And of course we know that open-air preaching is biblical, it's historical, all the church fathers did it uh, throughout church history, and then of course it's needed today. And, look at verse 18 please. When certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. So who are the Epicureans and the Stoics? Well, I did a little digging to find that out for you because I think you'll find it interesting. The, the Epicureans said this, that, uh, the pursuit of all pleasure at all levels, at any cost, entertainment, sex, sports, food, debates, uh, an Epicureist was an existentialist. Uh, he, he sought truth by means of personal experience and not through reasoning. They were materialists and essentially atheists. Their number one goal was pleasure, which included a life free of any pain or anxiety. They sought balance uh, with, within the extremes to, to achieve their number one goal, which was pleasure. Hmm. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. The Stoics, while they rejected idolatry and, and organized pagan worship and any kind of worship, really, and they taught that there was one, quote, world god. They were essentially pantheists, and if you don't know what a pantheist is, the de best definition, the best concise definition, would be any religious belief or, or philosophy, or, excuse me, any religious belief or philosophical doctrine that, identif that identifies God with the universe. So in other words, the tree is God. So they weren't atheists. They were, well, they were idolaters, of course. Their emphasis was on personal discipline and self-control. Pleasure was not good and pain was not evil. The most important thing for the Stoics was to follow their reasoning, and, and they were very self-sufficient, and they were unmoved by feelings or outward circumstances. So you had these people around. There were kind of two classes of people. This thinking fanned the flames of pride and the notion that God was not needed and certainly not necessary. So it's little wonder why the first two leaders of the Stoic school of philosophy both died at their own hand by suicide. You know any Epicureans or Stoics today? Ah, they're everywhere. They're, there's nothing new under the sun. So the, these Epicureans and these Bab, these uh, I was going to say babblers and getting ahead of myself. These Epicureans and these Stoics, they encountered him. Can you picture it? You know the Apostle Paul. You got these atheists over here, nothing but pleasure, and you got your Stoics who think that their mind is the greatest thing since uh, the universe itself. And and they encounter him. <laughs> and some say, look, look what they said to him. Look what they said, verse eighteen. What will this babbler say? Now, at first glance, that probably doesn't look like an insult. But a babbler is somebody who, well, it gives the idea, in the, I looked it up, it, it's the idea of a bird picking seeds off the ground. You ever watch a bird pick seeds off the ground? It's kind of interesting. There's no pattern. He doesn't go one, two, three, four, five, six. He goes one, two, three, four, Five, six, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, there's, no, there's no system to it. It's kind of funny, actually, if you watch it. And uh, so, so they're, they're accusing Paul of being a babbler, somebody who picks up 
Well, I got a definition of babbler here. It refers to someone who collects various random thoughts and teachings and secondhand and ideas from others. Just kind of boom, boom, kind of take a little of this, a little of that. YouTube video here, a book there. Hey, here we go. This happens all the time. I, I run to these people all the time. Uh, and so <laughs> this is not a flattering term for the most... Uh, the most efficient church planner and missionary in the history of the Christian church. They call him a babbler. He's just some guy just picking up random thoughts here and there. By the way, by the way, these are Epicureans and Stoics calling Paul a babbler. Watch this as a principle in your life. Generally, not always, but generally, people who accuse you of something are almost always guilty of the very thing that they're accusing you of. I've noticed that in my life. I've noticed that. I, I, can, I can spot pride in somebody a mile away. Do you know why? Because <laughs> I'm probably the most proud person I know, you know what I'm saying? Like we have a tendency to, to, to be careful when you point your fingers, somebody said, because there's always how many fingers pointing back at you? Three. So <laughs> how ironic that the Epicureans and the Stoics are calling Paul a babbler. If anybody's a babbler, it's the other way around. But anyway, he, he seems, so what does this babbler say? And others say, well, he seems to be set forth some form of strange gods, but he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And so they took him and they brought him to the, uh, uh, I can never say that right, Areopagus. Did I say that right? The Areopagus. And he says, may we know what new doctrine you speak, this doctrine you speak of is? For, for you bring certain strange things to our ears, which we know, therefore, uh, to our ears, we would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the uh, Athenians and strangers which were spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear some new thing. Uh, basically, this is the first chat room. Just to tell or to hear some new thing. And some people go to chat rooms just because, you know, want to hear something new today and so they can fire their insults and their accusations at the person who speaks anything outside of their line of thinking. And so this is uh, better than a chat room because it's face-to-face because people won't say stuff face-to-face that they will say on a computer. But anyway, uh, here it is. So, so I've gone through the, the first, I mean, we could have started at verse 22, but, but I really believe verses 16 to 21 really set the stage for this really set the stage to understand the, the scenario which Paul finds himself in Athens, a place given to idolatry with these Epicureans and these Stoics. And, and Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, now, you know, we use our imaginations and we think, you know, you're trying to play. Just imagine this. Like, he could, he could probably hit a, a five iron, uh, take a ball and hit a five iron to... Uh, to the Areopagus, and he, you know, the Temple of Diana is probably a three wood away. I mean, I mean, this guy is in in the in the place. He stands up in the open air, and he fills his lungs with air. And I want you to notice what comes out. You men of Athens, verse twenty-two. We're going to see four things. I think uh, I've learned much from this message. It's encouraged me. We're going to see in verse 24, the greatness of God. In verse 25, the goodness of God. In verse 26 to 29, the government of God. And then verses 30 to 34, we're going to see the grace of God. All in this one sermon that Paul preached in the open air, which I hope will be a blessing to you as it has been to me. He lifts up his voice in the open air in a very... um, 
Interesting venue, to say the very least. You men of Athens, I perceive that you in all things, uh, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For I passed by and behold your devotions, and I found an altar to this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him I declare to you. Uh, verse 24, this, he's setting it up here. Come to verse 24. Uh, these people setting up all these idols everywhere. Oh, just in case we missed one. I mean, it stands to reason if you're going to start naming them. You know, somebody said be careful when you start naming people because for sure you're going to forget somebody, right? So he just, they threw one up just, just in case, just in case there's something that they missed. And I like this. Paul is distinguishing Paul is distinguishing the, the God that he is going to speak of from all other gods. Now, you might say to yourself, well, duh, like Kirk, like, what, you know, of course. I mean, we'll just pray. That's, um, that's not so given today. If, you, if this chapel or if you personally support a missionary who, 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 is, who is ministering to Muslims, it wouldn't be a bad idea to ask them how they approach Muslims because most of the missionaries that I know who, who work with, Muslim, with Muslims, they don't, they don't set apart Jehovah as separate from Allah. They basically try to morph the two together and say, well, actually you're worshiping Allah, you just don't realize it yet. His actual name is Jehovah. I couldn't believe my ears when I heard that. I was at a missions conference and the guy actually said that and I just went, he didn't, he didn't just say that, did he? <laughs> That's not what Paul did. Paul didn't say, oh, uh, yeah, this God over here, well, you know, basically, he's like Jehovah. Oh, you read Isaiah 40, and there's nobody like Jehovah. There's nobody like, to whom shall you compare me, God says in Isaiah 40. He didn't say it once, he said it twice in verse 18 and verse 25 of Isaiah 40. To whom shall you liken me? To whom shall you compare me? You can't compare anything to God. Please don't, please don't demean God to say, well, you know, actually, he's a lot like Allah. He's nothing like Allah. Because Allah doesn't exist. Allah is a figment of billions of people's imagination. He's an idol. And so God, he, Paul, I think it's a given. Probably most people in this room would go, yeah, well, obviously. But, but there's this movement going, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Build bridges and tell Muslims that Allah is like, uh, basically, you know, I actually heard one guy say that Allah is, uh, means uh, something else. Oh in Arabic, and Jehovah's, in he, it's the same word, just translated differently. That's not true. That's not true. Even if, even if that was true, that's not good evangelism technique, believe me, just to add Jesus to your uh, Islam. No, no, no. Paul doesn't do that. Paul, he says, there's a God that you're worshiping ignorantly, verse 23. This is the one I want to talk to you about. God that made the world, verse 24, see it? And all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. He's standing next to the Areopagus and Diana's temple. And he says this. He's taken one brick out of the wall of their religion. A pretty significant brick, actually. First of all, Paul... Uh, preaches different than Peter does. We're later in the book of Acts. When you read Peter's sermons earlier in the book of Acts, you won't, fall, you won't find Peter preaching like this. 
Because Peter's preaching to Jews, they ate, slept, and drank God's law. You would be wasting your time in Acts chapter 2 to preach to those men uh, who were gathered at Pentecost to, to say, hey, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. They're going to go, what are you, stupid? Everybody knows that. So, 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 so Paul has to start right at the beginning because this is, these are not devout Jews. These are pagans. These are Gentiles. And they don't know that God created the heavens and the earth. By the way, most people that we run into on the streets, they don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. They believe this thing called the big squish, the big spin, the big bang. You ever heard of it? That's their religion, by the way. It's not, certainly not science. So anyway, uh, he starts off right at the beginning. The greatness of God, that he is creator. Every thinking person wants to know three questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? These are science questions. These are philosophy questions. And by the way, only the Christian faith answers the three big questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Apart from the Bible, you can't seriously answer those questions with a straight face. You can guess, and you can use human reasoning, but you're going to fall flat every time. He, he doesn't assume that his audience knows Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Friends, sometimes we've got to start right at the beginning. The Epicureans, the atheists, said that all was matter, and matter always was. Nothing's changed. I wrote the... Uh, oh dear, I can't remember his name now. I did know it this morning. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The guy who used to be in charge of... Uh, <laughs> you do that too, eh, brother? Evie's yeah, laughing at me. He's, Welcome to, welcome to our age group, Kirk, he's saying. Um, I can't remember the guy. He used to be in charge of American Atheists, this organization devoted to exterminating Christianity from the face of the earth. So I wrote him an email once because I, I was studying this stuff about creation and stuff. And uh, so I said to him, because there only are two options. I think you know this. Uh, either somebody with incredible intelligence and incredible power made this place, this place as in earth, or it made itself. There is no third option, really, if you're, if, if you're serious. There's either somebody made it or it made itself. There is no option B. So I wrote this guy, head of American Atheist, and I wrote it from my evangelism email, uh, which is not my personal email, which is a Bible ver- reference at hotmail.com. And uh, so I wrote him. I said, sir, uh, I think he said something. I can't remember. I was questioning. I can't remember. There's about six, seven years ago now. I said, as far as I can tell, either somebody made this place or it made itself. Obviously, I believe in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know, what say you, type thing. And he said in the email, I still have it if you want to see it, it says, you believe in an infinite God, and I believe in infinite matter. Somebody said it. I believe in infinite matter. There always was matter. There never was a time when matter was not. Everything that you and I would attribute to God, they attribute to dirt, dust, matter. And that's it. So, so the Epicureans listening to Paul would say that matter always was, and there always, uh, always matter, and matter always was. So, so right off the top, he's, 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 he's taken, kicking a brick out of that wall. And the Stoics said that everything was God, that God didn't create anything, but that he was, but that he put everything that was already there in order. So, so Paul, right off the bat, starts to uh, dismantle that theory. 
He says here at the end of verse 24, he does not live in temples made with hands. And the Areopagus is right there, and probably the temple of Diana is right there. So he's, he's, he's dismantling their thoughts here. Neither, verse, uh, so we, we, we've looked at the, the greatness of God, that he is creator, but let's look at the, the goodness of God, that he is provider, verse 25. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gives life to all and breath in all things. Paul's very wise. Paul is, is going right where they're at. Paul's very wise. He's saying that God is God, God is self-sufficient, and God needs nothing. Not only do temples not contain God, verse 24, but services in the temple add nothing to God. <laughs> he gives us life and he sustains us, Matthew chapter 5, by his goodness. And instead of glorifying the living and the true God, man by nature will worship and glorify themselves, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. I have a, well, I was going to say a friend. He's not really a, a friend. I haven't seen him in about 25 years. We spoke on the phone a couple weeks ago. This guy, number one goal in life is to build the biggest church in the world. Okay, I went to, uh, well, maybe that's an exact, for sure in Ontario. And uh, he has no qualms at all about doing whatever it takes to bring people in. Okay? You walk in their church service on Sunday morning. He, this is his words. You will hear Lady Gaga playing. The, the people will be up here playing Lady Gaga songs, Justin Bieber songs, because we want people to feel comfortable as they come into the morning service. True story. Okay, so anyway, him and I are, he, he wrote something on Facebook, and I just couldn't believe it, so I called him up. And uh, so he put on Facebook a couple weeks, about a week and a half ago, tell me what book you're reading and uh, how it's reshaping your thinking. And I listened to him preach a sermon uh, online, and it was about 20 minutes long. There's a no mention of sin, no mention of hell, no mention of the blood, no mention of the cross. You know, just, you know, add Jesus to your life, you'll be great. So, so I, uh, I <laughs> he says, what, what book are you reading that's reshaping your thinking and why? So here's what I wrote. Uh, I wrote No Other Gospel. My, my wife gave me this book uh, by Josh Moody called No Other Gospel. Why? Well, because as it says in his introduction, we tend toward human gospels. Their taste suits our palate. We prefer things that are perhaps masked in novel formulations or interesting speculations, but which at the bottom are basically human. They are similar. They have a similar feel to all other gospels, but they are really no gospel at all. They feel that feel is one of happiness. It is one uh, it is one of looking to please other humans. The gospel of God is by nature not designed to please humans. It is designed to please God. That is the one sign of a false gospel, that somehow it tastes as we should expect it to taste. All true proclamations of the gospel center on Jesus Christ. God has designed things to exalt his son at the cross, and any other gospel that does not center on the cross of Jesus Christ is not truly a God-centered in the real sense. He didn't respond to that. <laughs> I'm not sure why. But, uh, but, but, but friends, there's only two options. You either worship the true and living God the way he is pre prescribed in the Bible, or you're an idolater. There, I don't see a third option anywhere. Just as though there's only two uh, ways to be right with God. One is work righteousness. You must work your way to God, and every religion has it. Or salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. 
There really is no third option. So the goodness of God that he is provider, he says to them, like this must have been, <laughs> this must have been, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Blowing their minds here. That, that, he, that, that he is not worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything. Well, that's what the whole temples were for, was to kind of help God out and, you know, at best, appease him. At worst, work to make him happy with you. Uh, <clears throat> seeing he gives life to all and breath and all things, verse number 25. Now he comes to verse number 26. Now, verse 26 is a very interesting verse. I remember I was at a Bible camp once, and there was some... Uh, I think I might have shared this here before. I can't remember. There was some, there was, I was teaching the younger kids. There were two, it was a big Bible camp, and there, I was teaching the younger kids, and this other fellow was teaching the older kids. And so I noticed at this one table that there were some kids, girls, and they were, they were segregated at the table, like literally two groups. One was black, one was white. The black girls weren't talking to the white girls. The white girls weren't talking to the black girls. So I said, hmm, this is interesting. So I said to the girls at breakfast time, I said, hey, girls, I got a question for you. They don't know me. I'm not even their speaker. But I said, I got a question for you. I go, how many races are there? You should have seen some of the looks I got. Uh, I said, uh, they looked at me. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. It's in Acts chapter 17. Look it up. I'll tell you the answer if you haven't found it by lunchtime. So I come back at lunch. I says, girls, how many races are there? They didn't look too interested. They probably didn't even look up Acts 17. And uh, I said, I went like this to the girls. I said, there's one race. It's called human. This whole racism thing is, is, has its origins in evolution. Uh, Charles Darwin was a racist. Full out. Full out racist. They don't like to talk about that at the universities. I wonder why. He said uh, in his uh, Origin of Species book, he said that white people were the highest evolved of all the races. That is, that is racism. That is, that is not true. Look what verse 26 says. Oh, by the way, in his next book, The Descent of Man, he said that women are not, the women brain is not as highly evolved as the male brain. Evolution is a white man's religion, and that's why it's garbage. But look at what it says in verse 26. He made of how many bloods? One blood, how many nations? All nations. He made of one blood all nations. Now, if you believe that all human beings came from one man and one woman in the Garden of Eden about six and a half, seven thousand years ago, that makes perfect sense. We are all of one blood. We came from one man and one woman, and Adam is the father of us all. But evolutionary teaching rejects that, and therefore it must lead to racism. He made us all of one blood. And by the way, by supper time, those girls were conversing with each other. <laughs> like they were talking to each other. I was like, oh, praise the Lord. I don't know if it had anything to do with me or not, but uh, anyway, couldn't have hurt. There's, there's only one blood, friends. He made of, of all us one blood, all nations of all men, to her to dwell in the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. We're talking about the government of God, that he is ruler. Okay? <clears throat> By the way, the Greeks, this is an insult to them. They thought the, the Greeks thought they were, the, they were it. Like, you know, there's Greeks, and then there's everybody else, the losers. Okay? And, and, and he also, uh, he thought, they thought that their land, they thought that their land was the best. Like, there's our land and then garbage. So he talks about the, the land, too, the face of the earth and the bounds of their habitation. They, 
that should seek the Lord, verse 27, if haply they might feel after him and find him, that though he be not far from every one of us. Now this is kind of interesting. Uh, Paul's really getting at Daniel chapter 4, verse number 35. For it is not by the might of man, but the power of God that determines the rise and the fall of nations. For in him we live and move and have our being. He's actually quoting, Paul is here, uh, Epimenides. He's actually quoting one of their poets of the time, which is actually not a bad thing to do if he can incorporate. Just because somebody's not a Christian and they say something doesn't mean it's wrong. Lots of people say lots of things that are accurate and true, even though they're not believers. And uh, he's also kind of alluding to Erastus and Cleanthes here when he says we are his offspring. He's not talking about uh, that you know universalism that you know if you're a human being, you're a child of God. That's that's Rob Bell stuff. That's not that's not biblical. But what he is saying, Paul's logic is that God made us in His image. And it is foolproof to make God in our image. We have a tendency of doing that. We're made in God's image, so we have a tendency to create a God in our image, which is actually idolatry. And it's to be, uh, well, we're supposed to run as far as we can from it. For as much as we are the offspring of God, we ought to think, we ought not to think, verse 29, that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's devices, and that was all over the place in his day. Now we come to the grace of God, that he is Savior. Not only, not only did he talk to them about the, uh, the greatness of God, that he is creator, and the goodness of God, that he is provider, and the government of God, that he is the ruler, but now he brings them, he sets all that up for verses 29 to 34, to show them the grace of God that he is Savior. Notice it, please. And that at the times of ignorance God winked at, but now suggests all men everywhere to repent. Is that what your Bible says? No, it's not what it says, is it? God commands all men everywhere to repent. Because, oh, by the way, by the way, there seems to be this infatuation with the word love today in gospel preaching. Now, I am not anti-love, okay? First John 4, 8. I don't even think you can give a good definition of God without love because First John 4, 8 says that God is love. But maybe you already knew this, maybe you didn't. In all the sermons, I think there's 13 sermons preached, mostly in the open air by Peter and Paul in the book of Acts. How many times did they use the word Love. If you type in the word love on your concordance, Bible concordance, and it'll go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, 1 Corinthians, the word love is not in the book of Acts. So you're saying, oh, Kirk, you're preaching, what are you preaching here? What are you preaching, hate? No, no, no. No, we have this infatuation in 21st century North America with the word love. Thousands were saved on the day of Pentecost and they never heard the word love. I'm not against using the word love. 
But I think we swung the pendulum way over to the other side, where if somebody even raises this up, they get these weird looks sometimes. I said this once in an audience, and I thought half the people were going to walk out on me. Uh, it's just unreal. I got these looks like, what kind of a preacher are you? Because they didn't know me, obviously. But, uh, you know, the word love is not in the book of Acts. And thousands of people were saved. Thousands of people were saved. The word repent is in the book of Acts. I was, uh, less than 48 hours ago, I turned to the man next to me, and I said, that right there is a so-called gospel proclamation without the word repent. (laughs) The word love is everywhere in today's gospel proclamations. The word repent is almost nowhere. Something is seriously wrong. Because Paul says that he commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Good question. The answer is in verse 32, verse 31. Because he has appointed a day, there is a coming day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he raised from the dead. That's obviously Jesus Christ. Wherefore, he has given assurance to all men that he has raised him from the dead. Friends, if you're here today, I, I, the message obviously has been geared towards Christians, okay? I've been under the assumption that most people in the room are believers, but I'm not foolish enough to think that every single person in the room is a believer. So I'm here to tell you today that unless you repent, you will perish. That's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13. He didn't say it once, he said it twice. Verse 3 and verse 5. Uh, Why do you need to repent? Because of our sin. When I say our sin, I'm talking about Adamic nature sin, the sin that was imputed to you. Well, maybe imputed is not the best word there. The sin that you were born with because you're a child of Adam. For by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world and death passed upon all men for uh, for that all have sinned. And the reason that you sinned is because you were born a sinner is because your father was a sinner. And the reason that he was born a sinner is because his father, and it goes all the way back to Adam. That's why you never took a class on how to lie or cheat or deceive people. You do it very well without any help because of your sin nature. And that sin, well, quite frankly, God is holy and he hates sin. And so he sent Jesus Christ born of a virgin, to take the sin penalty that you deserve in his body on the cross. If you'll repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ, he'll save you. If you're too proud or stubborn, he will not. And I encourage you today, if you're here today without Christ, to turn to him today by faith and live and know what it means to have forgiveness of sins. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. People don't really want to hear that, but it still rings true today. Notice the three responses of the, when the gospel is preached as it ought to be, especially in the open air as Paul is preaching it, you'll find three reactions in verses 32, 33, and 34. Every time. Ready? Here they are. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. People don't rise from the dead, you well, I won't say it because I'm in church. But uh, people don't rise from the dead. What's the matter with you? I've actually had people say, Kirk, I took you for an intelligent individual until you started talking about people rising from the dead. 
People don't rise from the dead, Kirk. What's the matter with you? If people could rise from the dead, then people would rise from the dead. Duh! I hear this quite a bit. And, uh, of course, Satan has blinded the eyes of them that believe not, right? Lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. So how shall they hear without a preacher, right? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Um, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. <laughs> I've had people shake their heads at me. Have you ever had anybody look at you and go like this? <laughs> oh, you're so pathetic. Oh, you're so stupid. It's, it's pretty demeaning. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. You don't get used to it, that's for sure. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. However, others said... Reaction number two, we'll hear you again in this matter. Really? So you actually believe in that book? Seriously? Wow. I didn't know you guys were still around. You, you believe that all of the animals on the earth got onto one boat? Really? Like, kind of like, duh, you're so stupid. I'm like, yeah, well, it was a big boat, and uh, you didn't need two of everything. You just needed two of every you know, kind, seven of some. Didn't need to bring the big, huge ones. The little ones will do. Anyway. Uh, something oh, interesting. I didn't know there was people like you still around. Actually, that's somebody said that to somebody. I remember our Christmas. Some of you were with us in the Christmas outreach. Uh, December the it was the Friday before Christmas anyway. And somebody said to John or somebody. Maybe it was to you. It wasn't to me. Somebody said I didn't know that there were this many Christians in all of Halifax. There was about thirty-five of us out there in a city of what half a million. And they didn't even know that there were this many Christians in all of Halifax. <laughs> oh, he that has ears, let him hear. You know? yeah. Some said, hey, we'll hear you again on this matter. Sometimes when we're preaching, somebody comes up, really? You know, tell me what you believe about this. So it leads to conversations, praise the Lord. Paul departed from them. Here's the third reaction, verse 34. Howbeit some men clave to him and believed. So these are the three responses to the preaching of the gospel as it ought to be preached. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the word of God. Lord, if there's somebody in here today who they're just, uh, they're not saved, they're, they, don't, they don't have a new relationship with you, they don't have a new relationship with your word, and they certainly don't have a new relationship with sin, because they've never actually been transformed by the power of the living Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray today that that person will come to know you come to place their faith truly in you, to, to truly believe, not just with their head, but with every fiber of their being, and repent of their sin and, and find grace and mercy at the cross, that bloodstained cross. I pray that if there's somebody here who's not saved, that, Lord, you draw them to yourself and they would seek one of us out and, <clears throat> and uh, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And those of us who do know you, Lord, we have been changed. We know it. It's, it's night and day. Uh, thank you for the word of God. Help us to not be ashamed of your gospel. Lord, help us to preach it. We all are preachers. Uh, maybe it's in our home. Maybe it's in our place of work. Maybe it's on a street corner. Maybe it's behind the pulpit. But we're all, to uh, every one of us, men and women, young and old, male and female, we're all to, to, to proclaim the gospel where you've placed us. So God, help us to do this, Lord. Help us to do this for your glory and help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, realizing that our unsaved friends, family, and neighbors, co-workers, and even strangers 
are but one heartbeat away from eternity. So stamp eternity on our eyeballs, on our eyelids, and help us to live in light of eternity, Lord. Help us to redeem the time because the days are evil. And help us to not be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the word of God. I pray that your saints have been encouraged and edified and equipped to, to go out of here making a difference this week, this coming week, for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.